Welcome to the Parent Toolbox podcast from the Inventive Minds Child, Youth, and Family Center. We are a not-for-profit organization helping families with day-to-day parenting ups and downs from expectancy to teen. Welcome everybody to our kickoff seminar, Adolescence Mental Health Awareness Week. I am Jill from the Inventive Minds Family Center in Thornhill. We're a not-for-profit organization and we support families everywhere from expectancy up through the teen years. We either provide childcare or we offer different parenting courses and programs for babies and toddlers. We run a bunch of different events and conferences. Really excited tonight to have Suzanne Wiseman here from Wiseman Counseling Services. She's going to be talking to us all about the adolescent brain in 2020, what they're going through during COVID these days. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to start just by sharing a little bit more about yourself and your background. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I'm pretty flattered to be kicking off this week and to get to learn about inventive kids because I think you have some really amazing programs that I wish that probably were around when my son was young. A little bit about myself. I'm a registered psychotherapist. My office is East York, but it's basically like Victoria Park and Eglinton. And my specialty is trauma. And I work with children, teens, and adults. It's primarily individual counseling. I don't really do any family counseling couple counseling. And I'm also trained in EMDR, which is a therapeutic protocol for trauma. And I offer neurofeedback. And I'm, I'll talk about neurofeedback during my presentation. I also was a teacher. So I have a uh, teaching background as well. And I have an adult son, which feels really strange. I think that's the first time for me to say he's an adult, but he'll be 22 in December. So I was saying earlier to Jill just about parenting. And I said, every year has some ups and downs. But every year, in my opinion, has more rewards than challenges. But the challenges, when you're in the midst of them, they feel really, really big. When our kids become teenagers, conflict years, things come up, and they tend to, uh, they tend to gravitate more towards their friends and not with us, yet they need us. They don't recognize it, but they need us because we're the foundation for them to be able to leave and come back, go back and forth whenever they want. I've put together a presentation Understanding the teenage mind in 2020 and beyond. So we're going to talk about the brain, talk about anxiety, teens and anxiety, some tips for understanding your teenager stressors, and then I'll certainly, um, I'll be talking about neurofeedback as well. There's all kinds of thoughts about the teenage brain that they'll lose it or it's hormones or they're immature. They're misnomers because they are just maturing and hormones raging and things are changing, but it's, it's more than just that. It's actually the teenage brain. So what is happening to the brain during adolescence? So when we're zero to five, the brain is just absorbing absolutely everything. It's learning all kinds of things and it doesn't differentiate between interest or what's important and what's not. And it's actually growing to its size. But when we get to teenage, we use the term, it's starting to prune away. They're not going to hang on to all the knowledge that they've used and they're going to make connections. They're keeping the making stronger connections. So it's beginning to specialize that it's having things that it's most interested in or passionate about. And when it's pruning, it's like when we say use it or lose it, if they're not using it. So teenage brains can become hardwired. Anyone's brain can become hardwired. So the more things that we're using, 
that's what we're developing stronger neural pathways for. So that's when it's really important for teenagers to be surrounded by positive people or positive events and support. Sometimes we think our teens, they're so mature and great, and then you turn around and it's not the same person across the table from you because they're just illogical or emotional. The reason for this is because when they start pruning or deciding what's most important, the things that they're hanging on to, it starts from the back to the front. And the front of the brain is involved in planning and control and empathy. The back of the brain is more emotional. They really are reacting as opposed to responding. Because it's developing so fast, the back of the brain, the decision part of the brain, it's not really functioning properly. I'm going to age myself when I use this phrase, but the pot flips its lid. It's kind of like the lid is not really there. The part that can make those decisions, those rational decisions, it's not connected. It's not working out the same way that it would in adulthood. So the part where it's pruning, it's also forming um, myelin, which is the health sheets that allows the neurons to communicate more effectively. What does that really mean? When they get to that, they can be more aware of their emotions more engaged in activities and they have an awareness of others. If you've got a teenager now that they seem to be in their own little world and my son would say, call me at whatever time, wherever I am, I can't find something and I need it right now and you need to find it for me. And, and because he had minimal awareness of people outside of himself. Once they get to that, they can actively doing things with their thoughts that reinforce the parts of their brain that they want to hold on to. So that's the sort of the hardwired part. And that's the part that indicates probably that we want to, we want to help shape who they are and we want to be able to trust that they're able to do that on their own too. Teenage brain and sleep. I don't know if you know this. I didn't believe it the first time I heard it. So believe it or not, your adolescent really does need more sleep. I know the first time I heard that high school students, they, their bells should start later because they need more sleep. And I thought that's absolutely ridiculous. But that their brains, they produce a melatonin at different times of the day. So they make them feel tired later and they stay awake longer and they really are just tired and sluggish in the morning. I can attest to that from my son, but it's actually, it's a fact. Teenage stressors. A lot of the things that I'm going to be saying are not just for teenagers. Here, we'll look at the stressors that I've listed, and they may or may not be stressors in your own life. So COVID, I don't know anyone that it hasn't impacted. Academic pressures, friends, where they fit in, who they want to be friends with, and why they want to be friends with, and relationships with uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, same sex, because their bodies are changing so much. What do I like? What do I look like? Also, stressors, taking on too many activities or having too high expectations. The big one, again, socializing during COVID has impacted me as an adult, COVID friends, relationships, taking on too many activities, how many parents struggle to find a balance. And that's where this comes in. It says how you deal or, or you know, how I deal with my stressors. So again, how you, how you can help your teen with stress. Going to start with yourself, going to monitor our own stress. I'm going to learn as a parent. I'm going to learn and model stress management skills. So if I need help as a parent, it's really good to ask for help. It's the strength to ask for help. You really want to observe your teenager's health, behavior, their thoughts and feelings. A good place to notice that is 
obviously to observe, but when they're sharing things or just through little hints, you want to listen carefully if they're overloading. And this one in non-COVID times, be applicable, but support involvement in sport and other activities. Help your child research what activities available that are online. Even, I know we can't go to the gym. I'm in Toronto, but we've got a full lockdown. There are Zoom classes. There are so many YouTube videos available that you can use. I suggest if they're doing YouTube or anything, maybe that's an activity that you can do with them or at least be aware of what sites they're going to without hovering, which is kind of difficult to find a balance in there. It's possible. And then I have neurofeedback. So I'm going to talk about neurofeedback more. Neurofeedback is really helpful. It, it calms your brain so you respond to things differently. Things that teens can do, and we can do them as well exercise and eat regularly. And there's foods that are more helpful than others. Vitamin D, good in general, but it's also, I've heard that it's good for your immune system. Get enough sleep and have a good sleep routine. So if we can model that also, avoid excess caffeine. It can increase feelings of anxiety and agitation. And again, that applies to us. Avoid illegal drugs, alcohol and tobacco. Things have changed because not all things are illegal that they used to be. But if you can monitor and it's your own comfort level as well. I'm not going to comment on the right amount or, or the wrong amount. And relaxation skills is really beneficial. Um, breathing, I'm not sure if you know the different breathing techniques. So the main one that I usually use is that we inhale through our nose and exhale longer through our mouth. And I suggest doing that at least five times. An I statement is a statement that starts with I. And it's when I'm taking responsibility for my, my feelings. And I like I statements for a few reasons. The first one is that it's clear. I'm owning how I'm feeling, but it's also can help diffuse situations. If I, as a parent, if I said, I feel disrespected when I'm constantly picking up your shoes, that's an example, but I, I feel hurt when, or I really liked when you did something. So it's a statement and not an accusation. So I'm not saying like, I feel disrespected when you're late when I have to wait for you, I'm not, I'm not saying you're always late. You always make me wait. And choice of words you might be thinking or that you might say the other person is less defensive. What I also like about it for your teen and, and obviously for yourself, because I'm using examples for you, that once I say, once I have an I statement, if I say I felt hurt that this happened, then I'm acknowledging how I'm feeling and I'm not sort of sweeping my feelings or my emotions under the rug. Even if the person listening to me, it doesn't register with them, it registers with you. It gives you more self-worth and self-values. And you can use I statements for positive things as well. You know, I really like that you called me to let me know that you were going to be late or I'm so happy with whatever interaction we had. It's also very clear as a parent of a teen if I say, I need this to happen before this happens, or it's just like, I need, it's not you need. So then it's not top down. You need to finish your homework, do the dishes or do whatever it is before you can do this. It's just a need. And the same for your team. So if you're trying to teach them that, just being able to be clear. So I need this. There aren't as many questions. And I use I statements quite a bit in my own personal life, but they don't always come to me right away. If there's a situation, I actually have a little voice in my head that says, how can I put this into an I statement? And if I can't put it into an I statement right away, I don't say anything. I walk away. Maybe I come back in 10 minutes or maybe I come back in three days and or whatever time period. And then I say, remember the other day when this happened, I want you to know this is how I felt.
So what's good about that is that by the time I come back and say it, I'm no longer reacting to a situation. I'm just able to share my feelings and I'm much more calm. And the person that's on the receiving end, not so defensive and they're usually able to hear it. If out of anything, if you can remember I statements, it's not an essay, you're not being marked, you can start every sentence with I. And the I statements for positive things, I'm sure you use them already anyway. Those of you that might have uh, younger children too, it's like, wow, I really liked how helpful you were today. That's so great. That's an I statement. I like, you are helpful. What else can you do? Take a break from stressful situations. Again, that applies to adults as well. And I think I can't see everything. So it's drawing, uh, listening to music, talking to a friend, writing, hanging out with your pet. And I have two cats, some place hiding out, but they're just a really great way to de-stress. Create a network of friends that can help you in a positive way. Tact in neurofeedback again. Anxiety in your teenager. It's normal to experience anxiety sometimes, like we all do it. And it's important that you let your teenager know this. It's important that you let anyone at any age know that sometimes we feel anxious. And there are things that are, are good about anxiety. Anxiety can help keep us safe. It stops me from running across the street when I shouldn't be. Or it can help us think more about a situation. It can also motivate you to, to do your best because feeling anxious. How can I do better? Or how can I do as well as I want to on this test or this presentation or whatever it is? Gets you ready for challenging situations, for public speaking, sporting events, any kind of peak performance. Anxiety is an emotion like every other emotion. And it can have a positive role. Yeah, but sometimes it can interfere and it can have some negative impact. So some of the things that I'm going to sit, talk about for anxiety in your teenager, there's crossover between stress and anxiety. What I want to say before I go into it is that at all stages of parenting, it can bring up our own issue. If you live on this planet, you've had an issue. And when we're a parent and we watch our children, it can bring up our own past, even if we've worked through it before or not. And sometimes we can get more anxious than maybe we would like to, or we think that the situation warrants. That's when you want to do a check-in with yourself. Acknowledge their anxiety to let them know you support them and they're not alone. You want to do that for yourself as well. I want to acknowledge it. Yeah, there's some anxiety there. I don't have to act on it, but it's there. And when I help them understand their emotions, where do they notice in their body? Really, if you do a scan from the top of your head to the tip of your toes, where do you feel anxious? Lots of people will be like, it's here, it's in my chest, or it's in my shoulders, my stomach. When you, when you notice it and you acknowledge it, it sometimes it just softens because it's there for a purpose. It's trying to say, hey, you know, help me out. Once I acknowledge it, it's here in my heart, my body's going to calm itself down. Um, help them understand anxiety is one of many emotions. They can feel anxious and other emotions at the same time. They can feel anxious, yet they don't have to act on it. If it's more than what you think they can handle or you can handle, then find professional help. It can be really difficult to listen and help as a parent because we're already emotionally involved and we're not, we're not objective with our own kids. We can't be. And that's where therapists or professional or even an outside person can be helpful. And again, I throw in neurofeedback. It's also very good for anxiety because it really it calms your brain. You respond to things differently and it helps, it helps create new pathways and more healthy pathways so that you can actually deal with what life throws your way. Somebody asked this question on the question and answers. How much screen time is too much screen time, especially dealing with screen and gaming times in uncertain times. Kids of all ages are spending more time on screens with online learning, socializing. So how do we establish guidelines for screen time and how do we pry them away from the screen? 
That is a good question. I'm glad that it was asked. First of all, I want to look at, like, as a parent, how much time do you spend on technology? Do you bring your phone to the table? Is there a time where, where you put things away? When you're, you're sitting in the living room or someplace and you're watching a movie or a TV, how many of you have the computer in front of you while you're watching and looking down and watching and looking down? So again, remember, you want to model whatever it is that you want your teenagers to do. How do you decide what is the right amount for yourself? And it's different because how many parents are working from home right now and, the, and teenagers that are going to school or doing more online classes, there's not a distinct line between home and school or home and work. So the technology just kind of follows us around. So we really need to monitor what we're doing and help them monitor themselves but, and collaborate. Ask your team for input. So what do you think? How can, how can we negotiate or how much screen time do we really need? They'll tell you. You might not agree with their answer, but they'll tell you it's a place to start as opposed to top down that says, you know what, you get four hours of screen time a day. Once your four hours are up, that's it. We want to be flexible, but we want to be able to help our teens and we want to be flexible. So we want to show them. And we also want to avoid power struggles because nobody wins in a power struggle ever. It's really good to model that. And we want to create a balance in screen time, family life, screen time, screen time in school. The big question is, how do you create a balance? It can be easier said than done. You want to allot time for families, such as meals, games, sit around the table and play blockets. I love blockets. It's a great game for family and teens. Or going out for walks, connecting with nature. Plan activities. I say create an idea jar. So an idea jar is really to get an empty jar, empty container. Everyone in the family writes down ideas of things that they would like to do. If you're a family of four or three, six, however many, each person will write down a minimum of two activities. Everyone has to write the same number of activities. So say family of four, each person writes in three activities. So if, if Wednesday night or Friday night is activity night, you're going to draw an activity from the jar and that's what you'll do. So say my activity is drawn two Fridays in a row and my teenager is frustrated, but my teenager also knows that, okay, mom's activities are over and done with. We're going to have fun but my activities are in the jar as well. And you can do that for any age. You probably want to pick activities that you know your family will enjoy. If you're, don't pick a movie that you know your kids aren't going to like, or don't pick a, a five-hour hike that you know your, your son or your daughter are completely going to roll their eyes. Pick activities that we can all enjoy. And so many, there's so many games. And I think one of the good things about COVID is that people are, I certainly am, we're playing cards, we're playing Scrabble, we're playing Blockus, we've learned some different games and it's nice, it's fun because we're just, we're interacting. Talk to your teens, share how you deal with your work-life expectations and you can also share your struggles too. I mean, they're old enough to listen to and to understand and it also makes their struggles more acceptable because, you know, teenagers, they're not children anymore. And they're not adults. So they're trying to figure out where they fit in. So it's like, is it okay if I say I'm having a hard time with this? Like, they're not having a hard time. It's accepting. And it's also when we're sharing that, we're modeling self-care. I'm saying, yeah, I struggle. I struggle with this is what I struggle with now. And these are the things that I try. What do you try? And this is how I need to do or what I need to do to take care of myself. And ask them, what are some things that you think you could do to, to take care of yourself? We might not have the same ideas. But the, the main thing is that they are able to take care. So here you go. 
I sort of mentioned this, but spend screen time together. So whether it's watching a movie or if, if I'm working away on my computer, we can be in the same room. We're just keeping each other company and we're looking over or I get up and I get a drink of water or whatever it is and we bring it back, we take a break together. Uh, follow your teen on Instagram. They might not want you to or they might not want you to comment, but follow and see what their activities are. I don't believe it's hovering. I believe it's just participating. It might be a conversation that you want to have with your teenager, but it's good to have an idea of what their activities are, especially because right now in COVID, they are that much more isolated and they are communicating more through Instagram, Snapchat. I won't say Facebook because teenagers don't do Facebook. It's my generation that does Facebook or maybe a little bit younger, but you want to talk to them. In some ways, again, with COVID, we have a better idea of what's going on because they're under our roof. They're not out as much. Somebody asked a question on the Invent Kids post about questions, and they asked, what about your teenager to understand when their friends are following difficult the COVID rules that you're having in your household? I would say to start with, that's an I statement. I know that other families might be different, but in this house, I want us or I need us to be safe. This is how we are going to be safe. And you can ask them for inputs. Expect that there will be grumbles because there just will be. And that's where some flexibility comes in and some talking, but it's also where you want to create some boundaries. And it might be that this is the first time that you've had to have a more strict boundary just to say, this is what we're doing in this household. This is how keeping each other safe. And also, this is how it impacts other people. So I know I said earlier when their brains are pruning and they're not as aware of other people, but these are words that come out of my mouth all the time because I'm actually seeing clients virtually, but I'm still seeing clients in person. Though my office is big enough and whatever else that we can do it. But it's basically, if I'm exposed to COVID, then I can't work or I can't see people in person and it impacts a lot of people. I do say that to my son who is not a teenager anymore, but still needs to hear it, that his actions impact myself and ultimately impact others. So that's an I statement. It's pretty clear. It's not what people want to hear, but I do believe that it's what they'll understand. And it won't be unique to just you. There are other families that are expressing the, the same things and following rules. Tips for understanding your teens. Be curious and listen. So they're more likely to share when they don't feel pressured. So and listen to for offhand comments and show, you're gonna show interest in areas that you wouldn't normally show interest in, but you are because it's your teen and you wanna be involved. I watch a ton of basketball. I like it now, but I really only started watching basketball because my son really likes basketball. I've watched, sat through football. It's the last thing that I ever want to do, but I will do it because he likes football. You want to validate their feelings. We don't need to understand everything. We don't want to understand everything. We just want to be able to empathize with them. For example, like that sounds really difficult. Remember, it's about how they feel. One thing that's difficult as a parent is that we can't solve everything and we don't have an answer for everything. It's the same in any kind of relationship. Sometimes we just want to be heard. That does sound really difficult or I'm sorry that you went through that or I'm sorry to hear that this is what's going on with your friends. And then you just sit with them. Give them space to feel what they feel. It's showing empathy. It's acknowledging them. It's validating their feelings and it's giving them room to be who they are. And 
one of the biggest jobs about being a teenager is trying to figure out, I'm not a kid anymore, I'm not an adult, who am I? Give them opportunities for independence and ways to earn your trust and look for ways that you can show them that you trust them as well. Even if it's just small things, acknowledge the positives. It does wonderful things for their self-esteem. They're acting too cool. It's like, yeah, whatever, I, I, I heard you, but they get it. It's important through all ages that we do acknowledge the positives. If we're trained from caveman days to we're always looking for the negatives. We're always looking for the saber-toothed tiger. And it's like, we're hunting. And it's like, oh, there's no saber-toothed tiger. We never go, oh, thank God, there's no saber-toothed tiger. I can relax. It's like, but maybe it's around the corner. So it's the same in our own life. Whatever we're looking for, that's what we find. If we're looking for positives in our teenagers, we're going to find them. Even if that's great that you hung up your coat, I really appreciate that. Or that was so nice that we had that conversation. I really enjoyed that or even however they're doing in school, maybe it's not the mark that they wanted, but wow, I'm so proud of how hard you worked. I really like, I, I really like that you do that. We can always find negative things about ourselves and that's not what we wanna look for. Teenagers are looking even harder for the negatives because they're trying to figure out who they are and they're comparing themselves more to other people than at any other age, any positives. And they're always, always there. One of the things, I always recommend is before you go to bed at night, think of at least three positive things about your day or they can't be a negative turn into a positive. It's like, it can't be like, well, my day didn't suck. <laughs> so if my day didn't suck, what was good about it? If it's a teenager, I like got out of bed on time or I, I really like the effort that you put in or anything along those lines. I love that I got to see the sunset. It was really nice. Before you go to bed, Think of at least three positive things that you want to look for the next day so that when you go to sleep and when you wake up, it's like, oh yeah, what am I going to look for again? I'm training my brain to look for some positive things. And you can do that. Like Jill, I know your kids are younger. You can do that with them as well. What did you like about your day? What did you like about yourself? What do you want to look for again the next day? Don't be a dictator. So you don't want it to be top down. They need some input. Control your emotions. If you need to take a break, take it. You want to use an ice team, you want to walk away, come back three days later or whenever you come back, it's helpful for both of you. And again, develop common interests. Allow your team space. So don't take it personally that they don't want to spend the same amount of time with you that they used to. Their friends are more important. Have regular meals together. They're a great time to check in. Most people are having meals together at home now because our schedules, there aren't the extracurricular sports or part-time jobs and things that there were without COVID. So that's helpful. And be observant. Is there a need to ask questions, look for support, or ask for uh, professional help? We don't have to take it all on ourselves. Being a parent doesn't mean being a superhero. It means knowing when, what to look for and when to ask for help when it's needed. And I like this one. Trust that you've done your job as a parent and they will take what they have learned from you and become their own individual. Trust yourself, trust your gut. What's neurofeedback? What neurofeedback does? Neurofeedbacks for the brain, biofeedbacks for the body. The system that I use is Neurooptimal, and what it does is that it actually reads your brain waves through your central nervous system. So you wear five sensors, so two on the top of your head, one on your left ear, and two on your right ear, and then you listen to music. And what it does is, so it reads your brain waves. It doesn't read your thoughts. It just recognizes when you're using too few or too many of one set of one or more sets of your brain waves. 
And the lower part of your brain is where at the bottom is where oppressive thoughts or trauma hangs out. Then the next one is your focus and attention and then anxiety and then reverberating thoughts. And the higher up you go is your higher cognitive thinking because then you're getting to your prefrontal cortex. In an ideal world, we want to be able to use both sides of our brain equally and from the bottom to the top. But when we're using too much, if have a lot of anxiety, then those brain waves are sort of taking over. What neurofeedback does is it helps regulate them and it works with neuroplasticity. So what neuroplasticity is, is that it's your brain's ability to work at its best. We all have it. But what happens is that our brain can be hijacked through illnesses, through events, through relationships, and it gets stuck. It stays there until our environment changes. So the neurofeedback, when I say it, you're listening to music, the system or my system actually communicates to you through the music. So there are interruptions. If my voice were the music, I would be talking. There would be a small break then I would keep on going. And what those interruptions do is like, hey, Suzanne, get back on track. And because my brain knows how to get back on track, it automatically does that. But what it's also doing is that it's interrupting my thought patterns and when it comes back in, when it regulates. But because my thought pattern is like, I'm worried about something or I'm, I'm thinking about a past event, it wants to go back. So the more sessions I do, the more the information gets integrated into my brain. It learns to regulate itself. So it's like taking your brain to the gym. It can become more flexible, stable, and function at its best. Brain integrates information until it no longer needs the neurofeedback. One of the things, there are a number of things that I like about neurofeedback. Well, here's the benefit. So it helps you feel calmer. It can give you increased mental clarity and focus. So I think, Rose, you mentioned earlier on, about that it's really good for attention deficit. So it's our ADHD. It's actually considered the number one treatment, even though it's brain training, but it's number one way of dealing with uh, ADHD over medication. And that's through, through the States. It also, it helps dropping away of worries and anxieties. It's decreased in depression, more appropriate responses. And it gives you sort of a feeling just a lighter feeling of being at ease. And it also can increase your confidence. When your brain's working at its best, confident, I'm able to concentrate. I can do this presentation. I'm not worried about what's going on in the background or anything else. The benefits, one of the many things that I like about neurofeedback is that it, it has a beginning and an end date. With medication, medication deals with the symptoms, but you have to continue taking the medication. Neurofeedback actually releases past events and it creates new pathways or strengthens the healthy pathways that are able to deal with things. And while it's doing that, I know I mentioned earlier, I also do trauma. It helps release past events through your subconscious. Increases in motivation, improves self-esteem and self-image, improves sport and peak performance, enhance creativity and awareness. I mentioned that as a therapist, it makes a really big difference for me that I'm able to... I'm able to be 150% or, or more present with my clients. And then I'm also able to go home and be present for myself in my own relationships. And it also helps me establish balance in my life, which is not an easy thing. Um, 
for lots of people. One of the things that I've found very helpful, I'll share this story. You can have a start and a finish date with neurofeedback. You're going to do it until you get to that point where it's like, yeah, I like where my life is at. I don't need to do it. And then you might come back and do a top off like a maintenance check once a month or once a year, just because as we all know, life throws different things at us. And sometimes the changes are subtle. I use the analogy, if you've ever bitten inside of your cheek and it hurts for the next five meals or that you're eating, you keep biting it and it hurts. And then one day it's gone. It's like, oh yeah, was that last week? I don't remember. I don't, I'm not sure because it's so subtle that sometimes the changes with the neurofeedback, maybe normally I would get anxious about something and more worked up. Today I'm not. For neurofeedback, it works more quickly for kids or teenagers. It really depends on what's gone on in your life and what's going on in your life at the time. Imagine how you can feel and what you unleash your best self that involves with neurofeedback. It's Brene Brown and it's the wholehearted parenting manifesto. You can Google her. I believe it's under Daring Greatly. She has a few different manifestos, but this one just kind of rings true for parents of children all age and also just in any kind of in, in relationships. And this is me, Wise Me Counseling Services. Uh, it's my contact information. And as I said earlier on, my office in East York. So the main intersections are Victoria Park in Eglinton or O'Connor in St. Clair. I've got free parking, which is a nice little bonus, but I also see declines virtually and in person. So I'm, I'm open for questions, comments, feedback. I'm going to ask some questions if that's okay. First, I want to thank you for the presentation tonight. It was very informative. I learned a lot. When adolescents and teens, I went, when trying to communicate with them, sometimes it's very difficult to communicate logically with them. And it makes perfectly sense because you're saying that they basically the back of the brain is starting to format first before moving to the frontal loop of the brain. So the child is being more, they're more emotional, so they're more reactive to their behavior. What should we do when our children are acting out of control or they're showing a lot of problems at work, at school? at home. What is it something that you can tell us? What are some tips you can provide for us when our children are, their behavior is not appropriate behaviors? First of all, I think you want to wait and not be in a power struggle with them. Give them some space or even let them know I'm going to give you some space and let's come back together in a half an hour or let's talk in the morning after a good night's sleep. Share your feelings, but also, again, it's really validate what they're feeling, observe what they're feeling, and help them sit with it. You can let them know your concerns and why you're concerned. If there's something that, that you think is too much, you want to ask for help, but you want to try to avoid power struggles. You might also want to have some kind of signal with your teen, like, how do I know when it's time to back off? Or how do they know when it's time to back off from you? Teenagers, like, I, I need, I want, can I have? And... It's kind of like the two or three-year-old that, that keeps bothering you, only now that they're an adult. Having clear boundaries. And then again, I think when I said, ask, ask them for their input. And if you're, having a, if you're having a conversation, it's a good time that you can establish boundaries or you can establish rules to help keep them safe. Again, I'm going to say I statements as much as you possibly can. Just how you establish things and why you establish things. And I know that I use the words how I'm keeping us safe. If you have, you know, maybe you have another suggestion, what would it look like? Try to keep them involved. But in the end, you are the parent. You just want to be their parent. 
not a dictator, and not their friend. It's kind of a hard line to draw, but we need to be a parent for our children at all ages because they need to know that they can rely on us as a parent and as an adult. And if I'm their buddy and their friend, then it doesn't give the same sense of security or that same foundation. Thank you so much. Another question I have is, you know, children with adolescents and teen, normally an adolescence is someone before they're basically preteens. Because I guess with all all the food products and everything we have, I've noticed that children are developing a lot faster. Like you have an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old who might be acting like a preteen, like maybe even a teen. Um, yeah. Now, let's say at home, you've never had boundaries, giving your child, the, there were never boundaries put in place. Now you have your adolescence, or you have your nine year old, how are you going to start building boundaries when you never had boundaries, but now the boundaries become to be very important? That's a really good question. And obviously, it's easier if you can start establishing boundaries at a younger age, ask them for their input or to say, okay, well, Things have really changed and I see you growing up so quickly. We're going to change some things around here to keep you safe, to keep you healthy and to help you make the right decisions. I think what I wanted to say earlier is that, yes, boys and girls, girls more than boys are developing more quickly. That part is hormones. They're hitting puberty at a younger age. It doesn't necessarily mean that their brain's starting to develop or to prune at the age of nine or 10 years old if there's that much of a distinguish or difference between if it's just hormones or hormones and the, the brain pruning sort of specializing or not. Boundaries are very important. So basically you're saying that we need to be more assertive in a way when we're communicating with our children. Is that correct? Am I getting it correctly? Yeah, yeah, it is correct. We need to be more assertive. Okay, so can you give us some tips of what we should say and how to act with them? Maybe one or two two points. Sure. So can you give me a situation? I'm just going to quickly, Lisa asked what age is considered a teenager. So like an official teenager is probably is 13, but 12 would be an adolescent, a tween. What kind of situation? Throw a situation out at me and I'll see what I can say. You have an, I'm just going to give you a perfect example. You have an adolescent who is overeating and you don't want to be hurting their feelings because, but you're also worried about them as well. How are you supposed to react with some as a parent? I would probably acknowledge that I wonder what's going on in your life. Like, I mean, people overeat for a reason, right? That's when you want to ask questions or be observant, not talk about their weight or their self image. It's just like, wow, especially if, if there's a real change, I would not focus on their weight or what they're eating to start with. At least I'd want to hear what's going on. I want to get to know my teen, what's going on in their life, figure out what we can do. And maybe it's not, it's usually not diet. Find out the reasons why they're eating or what they're eating. And, you know, and maybe sometimes it is diet too. I mean, we all go off or we all like to eat different foods at different times. So maybe it's something that we want to model as well. But again, modeling is not just what foods we're eating. It's also modeling how we deal with our own stress, with our own emotions and our own anxiety. Thank you so much. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much. This has been really interesting. It's great, the different questions and the opportunity to learn inventive kids. I will do my best to log in and hear the other ones. And I'm really interested in the different programs that you have. And thank you. 
Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you very much for that chat. And I really do believe a lot that you said does apply so much to us as parents, but then also adolescents or younger children, because I know I I took my notes here and got a lot of uh, personal information (laughs) too that I'm really looking forward to. Yes, thank you again to everybody who is on today's presentation. Thank you so much. And hopefully you are able to join us for the rest of the week. We have uh, Dr. Rob Raponi, a naturopathic doctor tomorrow, talking all about the hormone shifts and puberty and mood swings. And then we have Dr. Shanker on Wednesday, talking again about using self-regulation practices and principles in ourselves as parents and as well as in our teens. And then Thursday will be fun. It'll be a little bit different. Uh, We'll be switching things up. And if you do have your teens around, please bring them out for that one because it will be an interactive workshop. Ashley will be taking us through exercise class and then followed by some mindfulness and meditation. So whether you do it for yourself and it's something you can share with your teen later, or if you can actually have them here on the workshop, sure, it will be great for everybody. Well, thank you again. And thank you so much, Suzanne. I'll be sending you a message later too. It was really great. I really did enjoy your presentation. So thank you. Thank you very much. Make sure to check out inventivekids.com slash events, as well as other parenting workshops, courses, and events. Thank you.